What up, world? It's your past first point guard and Trailblazers reporter, Mike Richmond. You're listening to another episode of Locked on Blazers, part of the Locked on Podcast Network, available wherever you get podcasts and also on YouTube. Thanks for making this show your first listen every day. We're still three days a week for a few more weeks, but we'll be back five days a week once training camp starts soon in about a week. So make us your first listen every day. Make it a part of your daily routine. It's your team every day here on Locked on Blazers. In today's show, we are continuing with our fifth installment of the Locked on Blazers countdown to tip-off. Running down every player on the roster and giving you a brief but thorough look at what they'll bring to the Blazers. We'll look at how they performed last season, talk best and worst case scenarios, and then we'll finish up the episode with a discussion of expectations for the year, and likely roll on the Blazers. Like I said, this is the fifth installment of the countdown and the fifth player we've profiled. So if you've missed any of the first few, any of those first four, check your feeds, check podcast feed uh, or your YouTube feed, however you're consuming this one, catch up today or point your friends to it because we're going to do every single person on the podcast. And it's a great way to jump in and get prepped for the season. Today, we're getting big and hopefully staying patient, talking all things Yusuf. Nurkic. Nurk averaged 15 points, 11.1 rebounds, and 2.8 assists last season on fi- on 53.5% shooting from the floor, including 26.8% from three. He shot 69% from the free throw line. He appeared in 56 games, all starts. He missed three games at the end of December with COVID. Otherwise, he was available every single night until the team decided he shouldn't be available anymore. And I think that is the biggest deal of Yusef Nurkic's season. 15 and 11 is a nice round number. Uh, his assists drop a little bit. Uh, didn't shoot well from three. Didn't shoot well, particularly well from the free throw line. And he was, um, you know, and he continues to be kind of a little bit frustrating finishing around the rim. But Nurk, the 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 big numbers are there. The the double doubles are there. The dude's a monster on the glass, and he's and he had he had a. Um, you know, kind of a different role in the second half of the season that we'll touch on in a second. But the availability is the important one. Yusuf Nurkic available for 56 of the first 59 games. Started all of them and didn't play after the All-Star break because the team decided he shouldn't play. And in some ways, Nurk's season is best understood as two distinct halves, as I just alluded to. In 2021, those first 30, 32 games of the season, like Season starts, the Blazers are fully healthy. They got a lot of um, parts. They're they're deeper. They're maybe not as, as you know, the, the groupings don't make a ton of sense, but they're deep. They got, you know, 9, 10 NBA dudes that you want on the court. And in those first 32 games, Yusuf Nurkic struggled. He struggled. Averaged 13.3 points, 9.9 boards, and 2.4 assists. Shot 57% from the floor, just 20% from three, and 73% from the free throw line. Uh, curiously, shot better from the floor and from th- and from uh, the free throw line when he was visibly playing worse. And he just he wasn't as good. He was frustrated. There were nights that he would he was you know openly frustrated with the way he was being used and utilized and his touches and all of those things. Then folks got hurt. Uh, CJ McCollum was out with. Uh, a foot injury, and also uh, spent an extended time away from the team for the, for the birth of his child. Um, pr- pretty sort of normal January things for um, for if you're going to have a baby, they're not going to bring you right back and then let you leave again. But like CJ missed a bunch of time. Uh, you know they traded away the the uh, 
the triumvirate of Robert Covington and, and uh, Norman Powell and, and Larry Nance Jr. in various trades, like uh, the that second half of the season after Dame was hurt, Dame didn't play after December 31st, it was a different crew. And with the different crew, Yusuf Nurkic was better. Averaged 13.3 points, or excuse me, in the tw- those 24 games from January 3rd until the season ended on February 16th, averaged 17.4 points, 12.5 boards, 3.4 assists, shot 50% from the floor, 32.3% from three, and 65% from the stripe. The Blazers were also a little better with use of Nurkic on the floor. His own shooting numbers, like I said, dropped a little bit. Um, he went from about a 22% usage rate to a 25% usage rate. Uh, not a massive spike, but meaningful like for for you know using you know using it in another four percent of possessions is is somewhat meaningful league average is is you know hovering around 20 and nurk was up at a quarter of his team's possessions he wasn't at this high usage monster he's not joel Embiid, but he was using more possessions and the blazers as a team were a little more effective in the second half of that season post 2022 with nurk on the floor than they were in 2021 with nurk on the floor they had a negative one net rating as a team and before the calendar flipped and a 0.8 positive 0.8 net rating with nurk on the court when the calendar flipped I don't think this is notably meaningful, but I will say this, that the team played better, looked better, and statistically was a a smidge better with worse personnel, but more use of Nurkic in the second half of the season. It just speaks to how bad they were in December. My goodness. Nurk looked like uh, basically completely different attitude and and focus-wise once he started getting featured more in the offense. He tripled his number of post-touches after uh, the turn of the calendar year. Like in January until he stopped playing in February, tripled his post-touches and he played his best stretch of the season. In fact, his best game of the season, a 32.8 rebound, four assist night against Memphis where he shot 12 for 17 and the Blazers beat the Grizzlies on the road to head into the All-Star break. Turned out to be Nurk's last. 32-8-4 on 12 of 17 against the team with the second best record in the NBA. And then Nurk didn't play again. Was ruled out with plantar fasciitis in his left foot on February 23rd. That's the day before the Blazers were scheduled to begin their post-All-Star break stretch. It was fishy. It was fishy because the Blazers said Nurk had been dealing with it all season long. He had not missed a single game, had not been listed on the injury report. if he was dealing with it, it was it was not known to us. And fishy, because Yusuf Nurkic was entering a contract year, and the biggest thing for Yusuf Nurkic's young career so far had been availability and durability. Durability was the knock on Nurk, and here he is appearing in 56 of 59 games. Pretty much everyone in the league got COVID in December. That's not even that's like just part of how it worked, unfortunately, this season. Uh when he he was pretty much available all the time. And then the team, I don't want to say made up an injury. I think that's unfair to the team. But I know Nurk thought he could play in those games at the end of the year. He felt he felt healthy enough to play. And if he and he was never on an injury report prior to being ruled out for a month. They ruled him out for a month right away, and he never returned. A player entering a contract year who has dealt with durability issues, agreeing to sit down or just sitting down and not playing through a tough injury seems fishy. Until you realize that Nurk signed a four-year, $70 million fully guaranteed contract this summer to return to the Blazers, then it seems a little bit less fishy. Seems like everybody knew the score of the game. So they did what they did. And Nurk's back. Back. Celebrated his 28th birthday on October on excuse me, on August 23rd, and will enter the season year 28. Yusuf Nurkic back with the Blazers for four more seasons, paid through his 31st birthday. Big Nurk got the bag. And 
Nurk was better the second half of the season, albeit under different conditions with, you know, very little CJ McCollum, absolutely no Damian Lillard, and Amphrey Simons running the show alongside Josh Hart. So, what's the best case and worst case scenario for Yusuf Nurkic now that the gang's going to be back together, his role might be a little bit different, and certainly the personnel around him is going to drastically change. That's what we'll answer in the second segment. What are the best case and worst case scenarios for for the Bosnian beast. But first, I want to ask you a question. Are you wasting money on subscriptions? 80% of people have subscriptions they forget about. Maybe for you, it's an unused Prime account or a streaming service that never gets streamed. There's this great app. I use it to help me track expenses. And because of it, I'm no longer wasting money on subscriptions. If I don't use them, I don't need them. And you might have heard of this app. It's called Rocket Money. It was formerly known as Truebill. If you listen to this podcast, you'll know that I downloaded this app when it was still called Truebill. In about 15 minutes, I got my eyeballs on all of the uh, subscriptions, digital, digital subscriptions I have. And then I could make a decision on what I wanted to keep quickly from there. So... Why don't you get on board with Rocket Money? Cancel unnecessary subscriptions with Rocket Money today. Go to rocketmoney.com slash locked on. Seriously, could save you hundreds per year. That's rocketmoney.com slash locked on. All right, let's keep it rolling. Yusuf Nurkic, what's the best case scenario for Yusuf Nurkic? What's the worst case scenario? First, a caveat. We're doing these within reason and without injury. We're talking what's reasonable, the Yusuf Nurkic best case scenario, considering his employer and his and his co-workers, his, the team he plays for and what his role will be, and, and worst case scenario without injuries. We're talking the worst case scenario, assuming everyone is on the court, playing healthy, and all of those things. We do this for everybody. We're trying to set the polls. What's the worst case? What's the best case? And then we meet in the middle to close out the show. Before we get to that middle, let's talk best case scenario for Yusuf Nurkic. There's one word that comes up. It's consistency. Sure, it's consistency in, you know, shot making around the rim, setting his feet, getting his, you know, go, finishing high as opposed to little flip shots down low. But it's also... Uh, Consistency with mental stuff, focus, and with a little more consistent focus and a little more consistent effort at the peak, because when Nurk goes hard, he's fantastic, will lead to a better performance. Look, Nurk has never been an above average score in terms of efficiency. He never has been. That's not who he is. But last season, even when he was a slightly below average finisher for a big man, he was still one, it was still one of the best years of his career shooting-wise. Big uptick in, in mid-range shooting from basically little short mid-range jumpers to long mid-range jumpers. He tried to shoot more three-pointers, but really he what he did better was shoot open from the middle ranges. The best version of Nurk is consistent with his execution because these are the shots I can make better. Maybe stopping in the middle at 14 when I'm wide open is more valuable than plowing someone down to get to six. The best case scenario for Yusuf Nurkic is that he does make those layups and he does play with patience. The best case scenario is that he avoids foul trouble. All of those things are consistency with Nurk. Consistency to... Uh, take his time, consistency to play the smart and right way, the consistency to say, if I rush, it it goes worse for me. Play as Nurk's best is really good. The challenge for Nurk and the best case scenario for Nurk is that he hits the best more often. And 
to be more pointed. The best case scenario for Yusuf Nurkic is that he's on the floor to close games and there isn't a single debate about the closing lineup. The best case scenario for Nurk is that all of the... Are the Blazers going to go small? What are their solutions? How are they going to do this? All of those go out the window because Nurk is so good. And he's so consistent with the way he plays and the effort with which he plays and the focus with which he plays. There is not a debate at the end of games about who is playing center. Because Nurk is is an advantage. You stay big because he's an advantage. You don't go small because Nurk is the reason that you are good. He is a pick-and-roll beast with Damon Lord and continues to sharpen those skills. He's a uh, fulcrum out of the high post as a passer, and he's the anchor on defense, settling into Chauncey Billups' more aggressive scheme where he spends less time standing and waiting in the paint and more time chasing folks on the perimeter. The best-case scenario is that Nurk works. He's on the court when it matters because he's earned that role without hesitation. That's the best case scenario for Yusuf Nurkic. So what's the worst case scenario? It's that the frustrating nights where Nurk seems to lack that sharp focus and one mistake spirals into several bad decisions pops up more often than it should. In short, the worst case scenario is inconsistency. This has been the issue with Nurk most of his career. When Nurk's good, he's good. And when he's bad, he's bad. And sometimes the bad spirals. Sometimes the frustration spirals and you can see it happening. Along, this is many, this is, you know, 18 months ago, but uh, a listener of this program once described Yusuf Nurkic as having foul momentum. And I think that's, that's wonderful. In fact, if that's you, will you message me so I can give you credit for, for, um, for stealing this phrase from you? Because it's really brilliant. Yusuf Nurkic has foul momentum. The worst case scenario is that foul momentum shows up more often. It's he commits one foul. It's a bad foul. It's bowling someone over in the paint, but he's frustrated about it. So then on the other end, he tries to make a play, but he reaches around someone in the post and just goes through them, foul again. Now he's picked up two quick ones. Now, now it's instead of having, you know, one foul or two heading into the end of the, the half, he's got three fouls and he needs to sit. Well, he needs to sit for the final four minutes because he's in foul trouble and then he's Then he's frustrated, he's angry, he goes to the bench mad, and he doesn't come back with the same level of focus. He's still urgent and impatient and all of those things. It's, it's, it is, if you've watched Nurk enough, you know that it's real. And the worst case scenario is that that happens more often than you want. That's, the worst case scenario is not that Nurk drops off a cliff skill-wise. In fact, I think the difference in the best case and worst case scenario in terms of skill and, and quite frankly, production for Nurk are incredibly, incredibly narrow. If you'll, if you'll remember, if you'll join me in a trip back to the first segment, when Nurk was like bad and bad at the beginning of the year, and I think that would, I, I like, I don't mean like capital B awful, but capital B bad and awful. It just like, he wasn't very good and you could see it. This was not a good Nurk. He averaged 13 and 10. When Nurk was awesome, he averaged 17 and 13. Um, it's it's not like, you know, it's four points and three rebounds. Obviously, that's like, you know, that, that's like a bunch of bench players production. That's like pretty good, right? That, that is a relatively significant jump. But it's not like he's going from, he's not, he doesn't fall off a cliff when he's bad. 13 and 10 and two and a half assists. Like it's, it's just consistency with more than anything with Nurk. You know it when you see it, because when he's good, he's good. And when he's bad, he's bad. And the worst case scenario is that you see it, you see it. In fact, the worst case scenario for Yusuf Nurkic is that at any point during this season, people mention his contract status or his salary number. If people are talking about how much money Nurk is making, 
that's the worst case scenario. The best case scenario is you do not worry about a four-year, $70 million contract because the dude is bawling. And the worst case scenario is that people keep pointing out, this is what you get for $15.5 million. That's the worst case scenario. I do not think, like I said, I do not think that Nurk's uh, going to fall off a cliff skill-wise. I think he's going to be relatively relatively stable in terms of production and, and uh, production and skill set. I also don't think he's going to take a massive jump skill wise. I don't think he's going to be, you know, I don't think it's very likely that Nurk averages 18 to 13 this year just because of the who's around him on the team and how much how many touches he's going to get. So the difference in best case and worst case scenario is how often do you get the good Nurk and how often do you get the bad Nurk? If it's if it's more often than not the inconsistent, frustrating use of Nurkic, it's the worst case scenario. And if he's more consistent, sharper and better, just tightening everything up, just a Nurk is 4% better on everything he does. 4% better on, on passing out of the post, 4% better on, on staying still on screens, on handoffs. That's the consistency. That is a game changer. We're talking micro improvements from Yusuf Nurkic is where, is where he's going to make the biggest leaps. So that's, I'm alluding to where I'm landing here, but what I want to do to close the show is talk about reasonable role and expectations for Yusuf Nurkic. We set the polls in segment number two, then we close the show in these player previews talking about like, what's real? What's, how is this going to go? Because we know what the best is and we know what the worst is. Everybody lands in the middle. Let's find Nurk's middle to close the show. Join me there, won't you? Still a pass versus point guard. I'm still Mike Richmond. You are still listening to Locked on Blazers. Let's talk Yusuf Nurkic. The best and worst case scenarios are meant to be relatively wide. Uh, in Nurk's case, I don't think they are that that wide. For most folks, it's like, every Simon's best case scenario is he's like a borderline all-star. And worst case scenario is that he's like a uh, dicey fit. And you worry if he's like a truly a six man. That's pretty wide, right? Like that's, that's a wide net. Nurk's is not that wide. He's going to be your starting center. He's going to play 28 minutes a night. For the most part, he is going to be what he has been. Uh, there is not, I don't think there is a massive change in Nurk's production or his role really in either direction. Even if he, you know, even if he doesn't close games, I still think they're going to find a way to play him 28 minutes a night. Like he's, he's going to play. He's going to play. Like he just, he just might be on the court to start the third quarter if they don't have him in the closing lineup. Uh, to be clear, I think he'll start the year as both your starter and your closer at center. Um, but there's, there is, there is a reality about the way that Nurk looked when he was really good. And a reality about the way Nurk looked when he wasn't really good. And that was who was on the court with him. Nurk and Damon Lillard are a wonderful pick and roll pairing. They're straight up awesome together. Uh, Dame would make most players, um, you know, competent pick and roll players, really good pick and roll players. Uh, there is a, le- there is a ceiling to that. See Whiteside comma Hassan, but like, and Nurk was a really good pick and roll player with Anthony Simons. He's got a lot of skills there, uh, to be, to be certain, but overall Nurk's assist numbers dropped in year one under Chauncey Billups. Like he can be a good two man player, two man guy with their best, best two offensive players. But there is a reality to the way the offense looked a little bit. In some, in, for some, just like basic reasons, like sort of like Occam's razor, the simplest reason is usually the, 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 the most correct one, the correct one. Damon Lillard shot bricks. Like we've never seen him shoot bricks really in his entire career while he was playing before he w- underwent surgery for a core injury in December. 
Yeah, yes. Nurk's running pick and rolls and dribble handoffs with Dame and Dame shooting bricks. Those are the last assists, right? <laughs> sure. And I think the sort of um the ideal Chauncey Billups offense where the ball pings around and it and it really moves, it didn't really pop up until a very brief period right before the All-Star break. But for the most part, the Blazers, when they were good, were a team that relied on two different gentlemen to run pick and rolls. Damian Lillard and then Amphrey Simons. And in that way, it will limit some of what Nurk does just as a facilitator. I do not expect him to see like as a fulcrum or running a ton of the offense through him when this team is fully healthy. I, I think that's an unreasonable expectation. And why I brought up the production is because when Nurk was at his best, he was like the second option often on offense and, and at the worst third, um, but mostly the second option on offense. And they would run the first play of the game through him all the time. He was getting nine post-ups a night. He was he was absolutely a featured part of the offense, not just to score out of the post, but to pass out of the post, to change the geometry of the floor out of the post. I don't see that level of usage up in the 25% range happening when everybody's healthy. There's just more mouths to feed. Damon and Ant are going to soak up a lot of the offense. That's what those dudes do. That's what they're best at. That's what you want them doing. The reason you pay Anthony Simons is so he can be a good offensive player. The reason you have Damon Lord on your team is because he's one of the best offensive players in the world. You add in Jeremy Grant, who has a tendency to kind of go it alone and take ISO jumpers. There is less, there will be less touches for Nurk. So the re, my realistic role is that he doesn't reach that, you know, 17 and 13 and, and, and almost three from, from when he was at his peak because the reality of who's on the team with him. But I think Nurk can be better. And I think Nurk can be good. And while his block numbers are always going to stay low, because if he's chasing dudes around the perimeter, he's not standing around the rim blocking shots. He had a career low and like a career huge dip in block shots and particularly block percentage, like a number of blocks. he, uh, The percentage of blocks he had when he was on the court, like it's it just drops. Percentage of team blocks, that is. Uh, like he just wasn't, he just wasn't, he's out on the perimeter. He's doing things differently. The way they play and who he plays with, I think is going to limit some of the box score numbers for Nurk. I expect his, his, you know, a scoring to come down a little bit, expect his rebounding to stay about the same, expect his assists to stay about the same, and expect his block shots to stay about the same low, lower than they were in previous years. I, I just think that's the, sort of the nature of this. It doesn't mean the Nurk will have a bad season. In fact, he can have a better season with worse production. I think I've said that about a couple guys now that I, that we've done. Like, I think Nazir Little can have a worse season than when he was at his peak and still have a very good season, still get paid out of it. The The trick to this whole year is that Chauncey Billups has to pass the test of convincing someone like Yusuf Nurkic to be the fourth and sometimes fifth option, rarely third on offense and an elite role player on the other end. The balance of bringing it and to be a high level role player when you do not get the touches and you do not get the shots. In the past, Yusuf Nurkic has bristled when it has gone that way. He has not been super happy. The challenge for Chauncey Billups is either to find a way to work in Nurk getting X number of touches, you know, six, seven post-ups a game, so he feels like he's involved, while still maximizing and running an, an elite offense. The Blazers are not going to be a very good basketball team unless they're the top five offense in the league. Like, I I think that's, that might be a hot take, but I, I truly believe it. Like, I don't think this team has a path to being, like, good, good if they are an elite offense. And is running a bunch of post-ups through Nurk and elite offense. That's the balance. Probably not. Because post-ups in the league are generally inefficient for everybody. Not just Nurk. Nothing unique to Nurk. Really, they're everybody. Just the way you can defend in the post. 
And the choice you make, less Ant handling the ball, less Dame handling the ball, and more Nurk post-ups, probably makes, probably it, it satisfies one thing while hurting another thing. Like, and that's, that's the challenge of this season. So my expectation for Nurk is that he's a little bit worse statistically than he was last year, that he anchors a defense that is slightly improved with better personnel. Um, you put Nurk on the court with more Nazir Littles, more Josh Hart's, more Jeremy Grant's. I think you're better. Like I think you're. I think you you can get better, but I'm not sure that shows up as much in Nurk's individual production as it will show up in like team type stats. Uh, when you know maybe Nurk's on off numbers are more impressive this year, or maybe they're in a best case scenario they're pretty flat because they don't get killed when Nurk is on the bench. That's that's the trick of this season. My expectations for Nurk is that he is pretty much what he has been. And my hope for Nurk is that being pretty much what he has been in terms of production and role and all of those things with better co-workers around him makes him a more impactful player. More impactful, but equally as individually productive. That's the hope for Yusuf Nurkic. And I think you can get there. I probably have a little bit of tempered expectations of how far you can push it. I think the Blazers are still going to be a below average defensive team. And Nurk's biggest impacts will come on that end. But if there's something like 14th, or 16th, you know, slightly above, slightly below average on defense and a top five offense. And Nurk is a big part of that, that regardless of what the production looks like in terms of like individual numbers, if, if they're good when Nurk plays and you'll know it when you see it with him, I think you can call it a successful season. I think the pendulum for Nurk more than maybe any other player sticks in the middle because the problem with Nurk is not skill. It's not, it's, it's, it's literally just when he's good, he's good. And when he's bad, he's bad. And it's the consistency to play more towards yourself, uh, more towards the good version of yourself, rather, is what I'm trying to say. I think Nurk ends up in the middle because I think at 28 years old, we know what we're going to get from Yusuf Nurkic. His coworkers and his coach might help determine what we, how we sort of evaluate Nurk more than other players on the roster because he is that complementary part. What he does is not dirty work. I think that's that's the wrong way to say it. But he's going to do some of the jobs that are um, that are that are harder to appreciate. A really good screen is a good Yusuf Nurkic possession in a way that a a sweet looking jump shot for Anthony Simons is a good looking possession. Nurk being Nurk holding down a defense. Nurk, you know making the Blazers an elite defensive rebounding team so they don't give up a lot of second chances without playing with a bunch of good rebounders in the unit with him. Like, that stuff matters. That stuff matters. And, like, maybe that's box outs for Nurk, so Nazir Little averages a career high in rebounds, but Nurk's, you know, the team's rebound percentage when Nurk is on the floor is really high. That's the little stuff we're, that I will judge Yusuf Nurkic by. And I think he'll get there. I kind of think the pendulum's stuck in the middle. We'll wait and see with him between best case and worst case scenarios. But I think the recipe is there for him to be the best version of Nurk there's been because I think Nas and I think Josh Hart and I think Jeremy Grant complement what he can do. I have some concerns about what the backcourt defense asks of the use of Nurkic. And sometimes when the ask is unfair, you look out of place in every job and particularly the job of playing center on a below average defensive basketball team. That's going to do it for today's show. Tell your friends about this podcast. Uh, you know, we're a week away from, from the, uh, start of training camp from media day and the start of training camp for the Blazers. It's going to be fun. Uh, like it's here in basketballs. I, I love it. I'm excited for the NBA season. I hope you are too. So do me a favor, tell your friends about this podcast. Tell them, Hey, I'm getting ready for the season by listening to lockdown blazers. Mike's over there doing previews of every player on the roster. You should check it out. Do me a favor. Just tell your pals about it. 
and then come back and listen to Wednesday's show. I appreciate you listening. I'll talk to you soon.